Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. have a guest speaker today and Braden Dissinger is going to be bringing the message to cover for Ross today. He's part of our church and he's brought the message to us before. So without further ado, welcome Braden. Morning Quest. How are you today? It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, it's a joy to dig into God's word with you all. Let's start with the word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the chance to come together as your body, as your church, a chance to celebrate you in worship, a chance to uh, read your word, to learn more and more about you. We pray that you bless our time together, that uh, you reveal more to us about who you are and what you want to do in our lives. Amen. A few weeks ago, some friends had come over for lunch. And uh, at one point, the guy started talking about how his daughter's growing up. And he mentioned that he'll look back at pictures, and uh, as he looks at these pictures from time to time, it's as if he's uh, forgotten aspects of his daughter. He's forgotten what she looks like. There have been so many changes that have happened over the course of time that when he sees these historical pictures, he has these moments of recollection. Oh, yeah, she used to be that small. Or, yeah, she used to, to walk and, and talk like that. Or, yeah, she used to have that, that little baby face. Little things that have gotten eclipsed with time. Now, I, I posit that my friend, he doesn't actually forget those times with his daughter. Those memories, they're trapped in his brain. He just isn't accessing them all the time. So when he sees those pictures and as the memories come rushing back, it gives the appearance of forgetfulness. Maybe you've experienced something similar. An old picture, a song, a smell, driving through a section of town that you haven't been in for several years. There are all kinds of triggers that remind us of things that we seem to have forgotten. And when those triggers hit, the memories, they come rushing back. It comes with the territory of, of being human, right? We only have so much space in our brains. We run out of room. We start to push out older information. And so we need to remind ourselves. We set alarms to wake up. We schedule events on our calendars with notifications. We set reminders with alarms. We know we're going to forget, so we take proactive steps in an attempt to future-proof ourselves from forgetting. I find the same to be true of myself and my spiritual condition. Maybe you experience this as well. I'll learn something about God and then over time, sometimes seem to forget that information. I forget what I've learned. But as soon as I'm reminded of it, it comes rushing right back to me. Oh yeah, I've been here. It's good to be reminded of that. This Advent season was like that for me. I found myself constantly being reminded of things that I had at one time learned, but I needed to be reminded of again. I needed those several weeks of waiting to be reminded of waiting for a Savior. 
I needed Christmas morning to be reminded of the joy of finding a Savior, a gift that I didn't earn and that I could never deserve, but that was freely given to me. And I find myself needing even more reminders. Coming off of Advent and and Christmas, I need another refresher. I need to hear once again who this Jesus is. I need to keep hearing who this Jesus is. So I'm just going to keep talking about him, if you'll stick with me today. To do this, we're going to look at one of my favorite passages, Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. I often find myself turning here when I need to be reminded of just who Jesus is. Read with me. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. In just a few short verses, we're finding oceans of theological truth. The vastness of what we just read, the depth of what we just read, it cannot be understated. We could spend weeks of study in these few verses. In just three short sentences, we catch more than a glimpse of who Jesus is. We catch more than a glimmer of what he has done. We learn about where Jesus fits into the timeline of history. We learn aspects of how he is a part of the Trinity. We learn about where he is now and some of what he's doing today. So today I'm humbly going to attempt to expound on some of the things that we see present in this passage. The very first thing that we see is that God has spoken to us by his son. And this is contrasted with how God was speaking to his people previously through the prophets. All through the Old Testament, we see God's revelation. The writer calls it out here. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God was talking to his people in all kinds of ways throughout the Old Testament. But what the writer wants us to understand here is that Jesus is the final and ultimate revelation of God. In Jesus, we have the final record, the final authority. God becomes man in Jesus and through him puts a bow on all of those previous revelations. All of those prophetic revelations in the Old Testament, sure, they were great. They were great. They served a purpose. They pointed us to the future arrival of Jesus. But he's here. We can stop pointing to his future arrival. Jesus has arrived, and he is the fulfillment of all of those prior revelations. The next thing that this passage indicates to us is that Jesus is the heir of all things. The heir of all things. And we were just talking about how Jesus, he's this fulfillment of previous prophecies. This happens to be one of those things which was previously prophesied. There are several passages which prophetically speak of this long before Jesus was born. They were written long before he was born. Psalm 2.8 happens to be one of them. Listen to this. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. The nations will be your heritage. The ends of the earth will be your possession. This is written about Jesus. 
The point being that there are, there are multiple passages out there which were written well before he was born, which foretell of him being the heir of all things. So here we are in Hebrews, and we're being told that Jesus is the fulfillment of prior revelation. God has spoken to us through him. We are then told that he's the heir of all things. And we can easily find prior revelation which he's fulfilling. He's here. He's the heir. It is fulfilled. Jesus himself even tells us that he's the heir. In Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has all authority. He knows he has all authority. Everything is in his possession. He is the heir of all things. The next thing we see about Jesus, it takes place at the beginning of earth's history. As far as the timeline of of human history is concerned, the very first thing that happens for us is that the world is created through Jesus. And sometimes we forget this fact. If you're like me, you may sometimes read Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God, and instantly you think of God the Father. But what Hebrews remind us of here is what we read in the Gospels, that Jesus was there in the beginning. And why shouldn't he be? The sun is without beginning, without end, despite being born as a man here on earth. The Gospel of John, the very first chapter, the very first few verses makes this evident. A lot of you know this, this passage well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, the writer of John could have left it at all things were made through him, right? But he circles back and he takes it one step further just to make sure that we don't miss it. Without him was not anything made that was made. All of creation is the handiwork of Jesus. Nothing is here without being made by him because he is God. So not only is he the final revelation, not only is he in possession of everything, but he was also involved in the creation of everything. Next we see that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And what is his glory? What is the glory of God when it comes to Jesus? When we think of the glory of God, we often think of what we see in Exodus, right? There's fire, there's light, there's mountains shaking. Moses is the only one that's allowed to see God's back as he he briefly passes by, right? The full glory of God, the full glory of God is something so far beyond our ability, ability to see or process in these bodies. We wouldn't survive being exposed to it. That's the full glory of God. And this is where the writer of Hebrews is explaining some things to us. Jesus, while still being God came to us with his glory veiled in a way that he could walk amongst us. His glory is that he is the very nature of God. He's the radiance of the glory of God by being God incarnate in human form. Not a reflection of God's glory. No, 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 no. He's radiating God's glory. He is expressing the nature of God even in human form. 
we further see that he is the exact imprint of his nature. In the original language, this exact imprint wording, uh, it's a phrase that would have been used to indicate the impression left by a seal or a stamp or, or when minting a coin. The resulting embossment of that coin, it's exactly the same as the seal or the stamp that it came from. And what we learned here is that Jesus' nature is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Why? Because he is God. And this is something that it always seems to stick out to me. How does God, the creator of everything, reduce himself to becoming a man and being born as a baby? And how does that baby represent the exact imprint of the nature of God? This is astounding to me. The son is a distinct being, yet carries the identity and the nature of God. And we'll see just how important that is in a little bit. Continuing on, we see that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And here is evidence of Jesus being active in the history of the world. We already saw that he created it. We already saw that that he inherited it. But he didn't just walk away from it. He didn't just create it and step away. He didn't just inherit something, stuff it into a trust fund, and then return later when interest has accrued. No, instead what we see is that everything happening is happening because of his word. The same voice that created everything is the same voice that sustains everything. He spoke it into existence, and today he is speaking into it. And he's speaking with power. What kind of power must he have to be able to create, to inherit, and to sustain the universe? How awesome must this Jesus be? We also learn that Jesus has made purification for our sins. And here we learn more about how Jesus has come to be a sacrifice for us. We talked earlier about how Jesus is the final and great revelation of God. And we see that conclusively occur in his ability to purify us from our sins. How? Because he is the exact imprint of God. It can be done through no other way. In the book of Hebrews, it spends time at various points discussing this topic. To me, in chapter 9, there's two verses that state it most succinctly. And it has this wonderful contrast of how fleeting the previous required sacrifices were in comparison to the everlasting sacrifice of Jesus. Listen to this. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Here is the heir of all things, the one who created the world, the one who is sustaining the world through his word of power. And he's presented himself as a sacrifice? He's done nothing wrong. He's without blemish. Yet there he stands, saying, take my life as a sacrifice for their sins. Put me on the cross instead of them. I am the exact imprint of God, and I offer myself. And because he does it without blemish, without sin, 
because he does it as the creator of the world, as the exact imprint, that is how we find ourselves in a place where God has spoken so conclusively to us through his son. He has spoken to us through his sacrificial son, and we need nothing further to purify us of our sins. Could you possibly need something more conclusive than that? Reading on, we further learn that he is sitting at the right hand of God after making that purification. The majesty on high. Now, this isn't something new that we're learning in, in Hebrews. The author is reminding, of some, reminding us of something that we've already learned in the Gospels. We see it in Mark 16, verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. But the writer of Hebrews is bringing this up for a very specific reason. And we'd have to explore the rest of the book. We won't do that today. But the writer talks a lot about how Jesus is the new high priest. If you remember back to before Jesus died and rose again, the people of Israel had to make a lot of sacrifices, right? And there was a lot of ritual involved. But the primary piece was how the high priest would have to go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. And ever so briefly, they would experience the presence of God. What the writer here is telling us is that that old system is gone. Jesus is our new high priest. He has offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And guess what? Instead of just being in the presence of God ever so briefly, like the old system, he's sitting at the right hand of God. He's in a place of prominence, a place of power, a place of importance. He's constantly in the presence of God. He's mediating for us on our behalf. That's kind of a big deal. Who else in your life is sitting next to God as the purification for your sins? Who else do you know that's sitting in in that type of a powerful place? What kind of praise is he worthy of because of this? I'd recommend reading the rest of the book of Hebrews to really let that image settle in. In our passage, we, we finally learn that Jesus has become superior to the angels. Now, we aren't told that he is superior to the angels. No, we're told that he has become superior to the angels. This logically means that at some point he was lower than the angels. And that sounds a little odd, right? Sounds a little odd. We have to skip ahead to chapter 2 to understand what's being said here. Verse 9, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus was brought low. Here is a supernatural God who has become a man. God laid to rest in a manger, a feeding trough. God growing up as a boy into a man. God being baptized by another man. God eating and talking and spending time with other humans. God suffering on a cross. God subjected to an unfair and brutal murder. God dying an inhumane death while being human. 
God coming back from death, God defeating death, God making purification for our sins. This isn't something that any other being supernatural or not can do. This is a task that only God can complete by being Jesus. Only Jesus can provide salvation for humanity. No other creature can do this. He is much superior to the angels. Today is December 31st. We just celebrated Christmas six days ago. And we'll play out a hypothetical here. Let's hypothetically assume that December 25th was his actual birthday and hypothetically he was born this Christmas. That would make him today a six-day-old infant. I want you to picture that with me here. Six days ago, God's final revelation would have begun life on this earth. Six days ago, the appointed heir would have been laid to rest in a manger that he owned. In a town, in a nation, on a planet, in a universe that he owned. Six days ago, this heir was born. And in about 33 years, he would be dying for a world that he created. On a cross made of wood that he created. Murdered by the hands of people that he created. And not only that, but those events, they happened through his own sustaining and powerful word. His birth, his death, his resurrection... He spoke a powerful word, and therefore it occurred. And laying in that manger and soon hanging on that cross was the radiance of the glory of God, His exactly imprinted nature. At six days old, our eventual purification from sins, our only hope was sleeping and eating and crying. At six days old was a baby that would grow up, become a man, die, rise again, and eventually sit at the right hand of the Father. At six days old was God existing as a man so that he could become superior to the angels. Do you remember who Jesus was? Do you remember who he is? We're at the end of the year. This is often a time when people find themselves looking back, allowing memories from the past year to to come back, thinking about what went well, what didn't go so well over the past year. They're reliving memories, right? Reliving memories. Have you been reminded of who Jesus is? Have you heard once again what he is like? Do you remember why he came? Do you remember what he accomplished for you? Looking back, do you see how he has moved in your life over the past year? Do you see how he has sustained you? How he was uniquely sufficient to be your purification? This is also a time of year when people start to look forward. They envision the next year. They set goals. They think about what they want to do better in the coming year. If you're like me, you may find yourself needing to be reminded from time to time of who Jesus was and is and will be. If you're like me, you probably find yourself distracted from his glory at times. Family, work, busyness, it can get in the way. 
It can push Jesus from my mind. My sin can cloud my mind and push me away from Jesus. Does that happen to you as well? There's a moment that sticks out to me as I think about this. Uh, years ago, I was in the midst of what felt like this, this hopeless moment, this hopeless experience. The Holy Spirit had moved in, as it often does, had, had given me conviction of some sin in my life. And during that time, I, f- I felt the weight of that conviction very heavily. The sin I had been confronted with, it just it weighed on me. I had sought repentance and I, I had turned from it, but the weight wasn't lifting. I was struggling to feel forgiven. This weight, it was, it was affecting the rest of my life. I wasn't sleeping very well. My disposition was unpleasant. I was distracted, inattentive. Have you ever experienced this before? Some hopeless moment, whether through your own sin or a life circumstance or a relational circumstance, it, it feels hopeless and it weighs on you. Finally, my wife and I decided to pray over this weight that I was feeling. I prayed that I would uh, feel the forgiveness that had been bought for me by this awesome Jesus. And as my wife prayed over me, I could feel that weight lift. I could, I could feel the fog clearing from my mind. I was feeling joy once again. I could truly sense that this all-sufficient Jesus had made the purification necessary for my sin. It was wonderful. I was, I was left almost in disbelief. I had once again been reminded of just how awesome this Jesus is. Who else could have lifted that hopelessness from me? Who else could have forgiven my sin? Worship team, go ahead and come back up. I want to enter the new year with a fresh memory of who Jesus is. I'd like that that fresh memory to enrich my thoughts about next year. I'd love to go into this next year just filled filled to the brim with wonder and amazement and humility of who Jesus is, what he has done, what he represents. I want the memories to be so fresh that they result in his love just pouring out from me. I want to be constantly reminded of how great he is despite the current circumstances that I may find myself in. Do you want that too? Do you want that to be your next year? If you do, then let that be on your lips as we worship just how great this Jesus is. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you leave today with a renewed memory of who Jesus is. I want to leave you with one closing thought. At the end of the book of Hebrews, sort of a benediction that's written in and and it fits nicely today. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, 
who we are, and what God is doing here. Or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.